Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The door that finally opens with light flooding in spilling out on the floor. The core that ever was now it will be the bones of what was there Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Raised by Wolves, the podcast. I am once again your host, Holly Fry, and this week we sure have a lot of interesting new developments on Kepler-22b. Here are the five things keeping my human brain busy from episode five. What appear your call is not your call at all, but part of your build. Perhaps you're nervous. How about a joke to break the ice? Oh, Grandmama. Uh, Is she crushing on Father? Is Father crushing on her? How about that musical chortling? What or who is actually under that veil? And how can it see what's going on in people's lives? And while we're on androids, Father suggesting that he and Mother might have become too human to be good parents? Whammo to human parents there, father. All right, I am not going to lie. I 100% think that Decima was kind of hoping something bad would happen to Marcus when they lowered that cage down. Look, she destroyed her android, which to her was like killing her child, and she did it for him only to find out that that light of Saul she felt radiating out of him was actually coming from a necromancer's eyes. Get in the cage, Marcus, and meet your fate in the pit. Uh, Or maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she's hoping that it will reveal Marcus to still have that special something that first drew her to him. What the fuck? Fuck. And I I really need to talk about that dude that Marcus finds. Uh, what? Is it alive and in some sort of hibernation? Is the tooth relic somehow animating an actually deceased body? What exactly are those nanobots doing? I found myself wondering, like, is this going to play into some sort of religious resurrection mythos? Because if so, that didn't last long because Marcus killed it. So hopefully we'll find out more about what exactly is going on there. Vril's murder spree. That is a hell of a thing. 
This android, as we see her in this moment, is fully vicious. Her rapid fire picking off of the believers while looking for her mommy was completely gasp-inducing for me. She looks scary as hell without her face. And then the way things turn once Decima and Vril are aboard that tank together. Whoo, lordy. I guess the lesson is, do not literally deface your droid child and leave it to die? I don't know if that's a life lesson we can take with us or not, but it's sure something. Osphere. Osphere. Doctor. I think I need a psych evaluation. What seems to be the problem? I think I'm seeing things. Have you eaten any untested fruit? Or come into contact with any novel forms of flora or fauna? No. Then emotional stress is likely the cause. We have several medications aboard that will help prevent hallucinations. I recommend Kitty Max 5. No, fuck that. All right, it'll fog me up. Hallucinations will also, as you say, fog you up. All right, the big thing. Paul and the cocoon and Sue's journey to save him. This is some serious, soul-shifting stuff for Sue. I guess it turns out the old saying, there are no atheists in foxholes, also applies to distant space colony labs with kids infected by bioweapons. And then those leech visions! And then scraping parasites off that creature and what is gonna happen now that she and paul have rebuilt their mother-son bond Whew, this is a lot and the person who directed this incredibly rich serving of raised by wolves is alex gabasi and i am absolutely thrilled to have him join us now So, Alex, you directed two very pivotal episodes, five and six, right in the, the middle second part of the season. And they build on that first half that we've had, but then they load up what's to come. So how do you approach kind of running and helming such an important part of the story? Yeah, it's interesting because you do have to consider what's coming before you in order to just jump in and dive in and see what you were how you're going to progress with that i have to say that we aaron has a very interesting way of which i love way of approaching this because as we were progressing with the story he was still writing or rewriting episode seven and eight so we didn't know what was going to come we didn't really really know and so i was aiming at basically um going for character really to be honest, I think episodes one and two, it feels to me that they were there to set this new world. Um, and they did uh, beautifully. Episodes three and four seems to be that we we're sort of trying to get all these characters going around, you know, trying to, uh, you know, disassembling the world. It feels that we have to break this world now to see how we're going to back together again. So... So for me, I knew that I somehow I needed to start a new world again within the universe that we had built in the beginning of the season. My next question is, and I'm going get, to get you in trouble, but I'll try not to. 
please tell me absolutely everything you are allowed to say at this point about grandmother. I suppose grandmother is a... I think we, we tend to think that she's a benevolent being and that she's a, a primeval force, that she came before anything. It's a kind of Eve um, of our world and she was the one that came before. And that's, that's, I think, something that we sort of felt at the time that um, when Aaron was writing this book. And then Father found this and put his love into it and then eventually she became this thing. So it's a lovely thing that there's a circle there, if you think of that. Because we didn't know what was going to happen in 7 and 8, for me, I was playing with the idea that Father got just enthralled by this other being giving him attention and laughing at his jokes and uh, father was just i'm so much i mean i do feel that father sort of was attracted to her and falling in love if you can say about these characters (laughs) but but for the fact that he was finally thinking that he met someone who it's and he built that i mean there was a line that we had that in 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 the cut we, in the editing we we cut out but there was a lovely line in which father says i finally he says to mother i finally f- know what you felt when you gave birth to number 7 i find i finally understand and it's it's just a, a kind of a feeling that i never thought i would have and it was such a beautiful text and then mother looks at him and says father you did not give birth to this thing you know, and I don't trust it. And it was really hard. And then she goes away, and and it was hard because father he wants to understand mother by the way of grandmother. She has a very unique voice, that sort of beautiful musicality that draws you in. How was that sound developed? How much did you get to have a say in kind of steering what that sounded like? That came uh, from Aaron first. Aaron said that he wanted a feeling that you had when you first heard closing counters, the closing counter sound, you know, something that was musical and yet very, very simple, minimalistic, but it gave a sense that it's a conversation that started. It's a language. His reference was closing counters. And when we got the sound from the sound department, um, I had three or four choices and I first I chose the darker one <laughs> the darkest one because I it was nothing at all like the, the closing counter sound it was way darker because I thought we still needed to give a sense of um, mystery and there were not many notes it was just a, a little drone almost and that also for me was important to give mother a sense of danger that was surrounding the area uh, is via the sound that mother first hears and goes, she's looking for Campion, then she hears the sound and she goes into the, the cabin. And I think that was um, that was the first impulse. And I think at the end, um, there was a mixture of that. I think Adam went back to to make it a more lively sound. You mentioned you mentioned her laughter. Does she actually find father funny, or is he misreading her sounds as laughter because he needs that validation? I I think it's the latter. You're totally right. I think she attempts to communicate and father is seeing more than, he, than it is. She didn't, when I shot the scene, 
she didn't laugh was just father's timing was was uh, Abu's uh, timing in telling the joke and yet laughing immediately and every time every take he would laugh a little bit faster and quicker jump in than I than than I would have liked and I told him and yet you know th that second so it doesn't so he feels that she's laughing before he ends the joke which then gives you a sense that she knows the end of the joke and something like that and father laughs at it but in fact you're right she just want to raise maybe she just went to you know raise a signal that she's alive and that's enough you kind of touched on this earlier when you talked about focusing on the characters and where they're at episode five has a really beautiful level of intimacy about it we see a lot of the characters really working through kind of the bigger problems that that have gotten set up right sue is both a scientist and a parent she's trying to save a child that has rejected her father and mother are kind of working out what they think their shortcomings are as parents and the kids are discussing their futures and what's going to happen to Paul and Tempest is grappling with not having faith anymore and how she kind of misses it all of them and Marcus and his his nouveau mithraics are going through this tipping point where they want him to kind of prove himself in some way in a show that is usually very action-packed and it has plenty of action in this one too um but what is it like getting to pull back and have those quieter moments that still have incredible gravity, but aren't a lot of banging and popping and running? Uh, what we had, it's funny because it's, we did have some more of those things, um, especially between Tempest and, and Hunter. And for me, the first was, for me, it was always this, I love the fact that I could actually play with these two characters that were, they had this unease between them and Hunter and and, and as the more Hunter wants to free himself and be more like a man, as he says, he doesn't want to be children anymore, a child. And Tempest starts paying attention to him. And I love the idea that I could build this relationship, even though it's just hinted at, but that they could form a couple. So I played, and they loved as well, the two actors. So um, so we, we played a lot of that. I think we had to balance... I knew that the big set piece would be Marcus going down uh, the pit of horrors and and Vril um, in that kill rampage. For me, these two moments would take a few minutes, but because they what they are, what they are, it's just they and they are edited uh, with other things. I could have the rest grounding the characters emotionally, so it wasn't really was a gift really to be able to work um, the character's emotions and also I knew episode 5 needed that needed to really really be a little bit more mature in that sense everyone needs to meet their own destinies, destinies now um, Holly's desperately trying in her own way to be an adult as well as Hunter but in her own way and try to find her path Sue trying to save Bo no matter what it's really uh, what's really drives you there you know there is a mission there so everyone is on a mission sue trying to save paul marcus trying to prove that he can be a leader holly trying to prove to marcus that she's worthy of being part of of those metrics we we had the, the you know a lot more that we had to take out in order to to give just enough of the essentials of the emotional grounding to be in the episode 
Here's what I absolutely love about this episode, which may reveal that I'm a weirdo. Um, there's so much really fun horror in it. Like there is that interesting moment where Sue is harvesting a leech off of a sea creature. And like that is in and of itself such a like monster movie moment. And then Vril's little sneak attack on the Mithraics where she is vengeful and incredibly violent with no face on. Those are all really, really thrilling as a viewer. And I'm wondering for you, what's the most difficult part of, of directing those kinds of scenes? And also what's the most fun when you get to do that sci-fi and horror kind of crossover material yeah you're right I love the crossover I love going from sci-fi to horror and back and and I love that it's it gives me enormous pleasure um, and I remember reading the script at first and going thank you thank you Aaron <laughs> for this <laughs> such a gift uh, um, because I knew I could have fun you're totally right fun is the word first um, you don't think too much of the technicalities of it. You just go, okay, you know, I can just, you know, I can invent stuff. I can do, and I think those moments, the the Sue moment first, the one that she retrieves the um, the uh, the leeches. It it was longer. The fight was way longer. There was a big fight, and it was very technically, it was very difficult. Also to VFX later because we did have a wonderful stunt guy playing the um, the monster, but. It, it's uh, the creature, but it's it's um, still we had lots to do later, and it's one of those things that in the end you have to choose where you put your time and money, and if uh, not money, but the time that you have to put the time to in the episodes. And I think we sort of left this and put more on the real killing and and the Marcus descent. And I suppose when the when this. The, the the first ideas for the season came about a production designer comes in and he comes and, and does all the uh, the design and and he thought it would be great to have father in a shed and which is great however the shed is really is a shed it's small is small as a shed <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because I kept joking to the art director and production designer saying look I know it's a shed but you made a 20th century shed you didn't make a 20 third century shed which would be different would be bigger would be he's an android he's making big things so i had a little garage to shoot um a six foot four grandmother and a six foot mother because they are two tall women they're really and so and then i read oh and they float and they fly and they hope and i went like i'm sorry i i can't do that <laughs> it's impossible I have to make a hole in the ceiling it's just like you know let's move this so I kept trying to convince everybody Aaron and everybody look let's move this but I had to stay with that thing so what I basically convinced them was that in episode 4 uh, when grandmother comes to be the big blast that she generates basically makes the whole thing black and just because of the sheer power of her, you know, um, flight, she just pushes everything away. So then I had to convince Suno, the director of episode four, that I wanted to do that for my episode. So he didn't have to deal with that. He just basically, I wanted um, a black scenario, a black set with everything apart. So I would have space for these two big women to float and 
confront themselves. And that's what I got, thankfully. So that, that's, these are ways that you find to, to somehow to, to make it possible that, that you know, those, those things that Aaron had in mind, they, they exist. I really, really just delighted in talking about all of the horror elements in particular of the show with Alex, who is just an absolute delight. So I have to thank him once again for joining me because that was never-ending fun for me. Next week, I am going to be joined by Neve Algar, who plays Sue, and we are going to talk all about episode six, and I really hope you join us. Raised by Wolves, the podcast is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio. It's hosted and written by me, Holly Fry. The podcast is produced and edited by Jeff Heimbuck and executive produced by Ethan Fixell, with additional assistance from James Foster. If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed Raised by Wolves, the podcast, please do so on the iHeartRadio app, HBO Max, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to watch the series itself on HBO Max with new episodes. Episodes available to stream on Thursdays.